Welcome to Anything But Routine. Before we start the podcast today, we want to talk about our Dance Coaches Teachers Unite Facebook group. We have over 9,000 members in this Facebook group. It's a great way to network with different dance coaches, teachers, and studio owners. Ask a question if you're struggling. We all do better when we work together. Now, enjoy the podcast. Dance Coaches and Teachers Unite Facebook group. My name is Cindy Clough and I'm the one that runs this group for those of you that don't know me. How do you work with school administration to set up a budget from the athletic department? Um, I feel your, your relationship with your school administrator is so important. So do anything you can do to build that. In terms of a budget, my team... Um, I can just go by what we say is we will take whatever our athletic department will will give us, but we also earn as much money as we possibly can. So we're pretty self-supporting. We do a lot of fundraising individually for our team. And we also, because I want to utilize more than what my school district will give us. So um, our school pays for our buses. They pay for all our entry fees to our competition. If I asked them to pay for uniforms, they would. I generally just forget to because we're so self-sufficient. There are years that they do pay for our, our, our costumes, but we want to get them more often that they, than they would pay it. I know a lot of um, schools are on a rotation with their costumes for a school district. So I just say that relationship is so important and write out what you need. The one thing to think about is a different perspective than what I'm saying is you are just as important as the basketball team. You're just as important as the volleyball team, any team. So you should get money from the budget from your school district. So, and when I'm saying I don't go to them that much, our busing fees alone are astronomical because we live way away from all the competitions and we do a lot of overnights and they do not say one thing about our overnights. They pay for our bus overnight. And the other thing they do for us is they pay for our state hotels if we make it to state. And so, you know, when I'm saying I take whatever I can get, they're very good to us. They're very, very good to us. So I just, when it comes to costumes, I want to do what I want and I don't want to be tied to a three-year rotation. So I just do them. So whatever works for you guys. Maximizing fundraising opportunities such as 5,000 and above. The first one um, I would say that we do is a show and we gain a lot of money by doing a big show and charging for it. The second one, I would say there's like little kids um, thing in the fall, right, in October or something, and then have them dance at a football game or do it in November and have them dance at your show and make double money by charging admission for the show and also doing a camp for them. So that might be a good way to make some extra money. Shows are great. And believe it or not, I was the first one to do a show in Minnesota and I got the idea from Iowa people. Minnesota people have never done a show. If you do something like a show, selling flowers at it, selling light sticks, selling something extra. We've done everything from selling water at the 4th of July to whatever. But I know Aaron asked, what's a big one? Fewer, bigger fundraisers are great, and I would, I would stick with fewer, bigger ones so that you, you know, have to do fewer of them. I have my parents handle all the fundraising. I have totally backed off of that, and I love it, and I've saved my best fundraiser for last. We 
bag groceries at a grocery store. And the first time we did it, we made $17,000 on a Thanksgiving weekend or a 4th of July. I don't remember. I think the first time we did it was 4th of July. We always get the big weekends and we're in a tourist town and we did two cub food grocery stores and we made $17,000. That was a good fundraiser. And I didn't have to go. That's what I really liked about it. Okay, working with other teams in the same city. For example, how can a team from East work with a team from West if you're in a big town or, or whatever? Um, I think that's a really great, great question and it's so important. And I feel it's important to give the, the, it's how you deal with it that your kids will deal with it. You know, get along with your other team, support each other, appreciate each other's, you know, when one team has success, that doesn't make you less of a team. So teach your group to celebrate another team's success. I always point out, like we compete with, with a lot of different schools over and over. And I always try to point out to my team, wow, they have a culture of excellence and you know, they're going to be tough to get by, you know, so point that out to your kids. So, um, learning hard life lessons when you let the team fail. If I feel like my coaching has, um, screwed up my team or let them fail. I admit it. Um, you know, I, sometimes I feel we got out coached and sometimes I feel they have not done their part. Like I feel like I've given them a routine on a silver platter and they have not executed it. And that's my failure too, probably if they haven't executed it, but you know what I'm saying? If they maybe don't have the skills they need or whatnot. So I just think it's important to be real with your kids. My kids know I will never lie to them. They know I'm going to tell them like it is, and I, appre I appreciate hard work just as much as, as success. We may not always hit it, and if you have a failure, it's not always a failure, and failure is practice getting better at what you need to do. So talk about it. I don't think let one failure define you. One thing I've been doing lately, you guys, is listening a lot to other sports coaches. Like I listen to PJ Fleck a lot. He's the Minnesota Gopher coach that has coached football and brought them from, you know, uh, losing history to a, a more successful season. I listen to other coaches to learn what they do. So never use your time driving in the car to just veg, which might be good, but I'm kind of a workaholic. Um, I listen to other coaches and I listen to what they're doing and what's helping them be successful. So you might want to try that too, but a failure is never a failure. You can always turn it into a positive experience. You know, I always tell my kids or, you know, and I try to tell myself this is that you are the only problem you will ever have in your life. You personally are the only problem you will ever have. And then I go on to say, you are also the only solution you will ever have. So however you are looking at things with your team is how it's going to be. So you can turn every solution or every problem into a, a learning experience or come up with a solution for what happened or like teaching them a lesson. So sometimes it's good in advance to have looked at some things that you would say if it goes this way or if it goes that way how am I going to deal with it that comes with experience you know I'm I've been around long enough that I don't um, let every failure define me you know for me to be a bigger failure if we didn't try if we didn't try to go if we didn't try to go after it for me it's a bigger failure when you say no we can't be ready that early because our team can't do that 
than going, yeah, we're just going to get out there and do it. Like we had a meet early this year. Why do you think I did that? To push my little birds out of the nest and see if they can fly. If we don't do it early, we're just postponing the pain. I have a saying that work expands to fill the time you allow it. So if you tighten up your deadline, we do that a lot here at the office. If we tighten up our deadlines and pretend something is due before it is, that is going to help you a lot to move up that deadline. Okay, what options exist for creating formations and transitions in choreography without using colored pencils and graph paper and moving magnets around? Well, there are lots of them. The most expensive one and the hardest to work is called Pyware, P-Y-W-A-R-E. And it is actually created for marching bands. But there is also one called Choreo or Choreo Mover. And I might find the name of this if I'm wrong on it because my assistant coach Julie uses it. And it's much much simpler to use than Pyware, which is the one my daughter Allie uses. But I think they're really cool if you have never used those to learn how to move people around for choreography. So... If you just go on Google and you search choreography formation maker, I bet a lot of them will come up. You can put their initials in. But just to give you an example, we did ours and we sent it out in their band app group. It was all their formations. And then they were at practice when I got there walking around the gym with the little app looking at, okay, I go here first. Because like if we, for instance, say we danced 28 and we cut down to 24 or 32 and we cut down to 28 or something, we need to show them their formations before they get there because then they know where they stand and who they stand by. So their initial is on it and it shows them where to go. So those are really great. Anyway, that's a great formation thing. The other thing that I learned last year, we did an Aladdin dance, and I think I posted it on here, but we wore four different costume colors. So I color-coded my kids. And it's really, I learned something myself from doing that, is that I grouped my kids together. Like for instance, if you're doing jazz, you could group your leggy kids and your really strong turners or your walkover kids with a certain color on your choreo app. And then when you do the formation, it will move them. You could go, okay, that's my leggy group that I want to do extensions with or whatever. So um, what are your tips not to burn out? Um, you say, share these on and off and they saved my life. It, my first tip was to keep growing, keep getting better, have something new to bring to the table. One thing I was just thinking right now is I feel like my kids seemed a little burned out. So I'm like, I'm going to print out any motivational thing I can read. So I have them in my backpack so when they're feeling low I can pull them together and talk and I really highly suggest you talk to your kids about the mental side of coaching it is the best way to build your culture it's the best way to keep your kids going in the same direction and wanting to work really hard for you so I stay more excited when I have something new to bring to practice so watching more YouTube videos bring in a YouTube video there's all these like really cool videos about um you know, working hard and always it's football players, of course, or weightlifters or that type of thing. So I'm working hard to try to get some of those made for dance on it. But um, think what new you can bring to practice. That's going to keep you in on it. Think what fun you can do. And and sometimes looking at it through your kid's eyes, you know, when you've been coaching this long, I'm like, oh God, we have a sleepover Friday night. We're going to be in a hotel and, you know, 
I got to think back to when I was in high school and if I would have ever gotten to go on a sleepover with a team, I'd have thought it was so cool. Friday night, I had my senior sleepover last Friday and my husband's in, in Florida and I'm like, what the heck am I doing this for? And then we sat there and had a fun time. I'm lucky to have a sauna. So we all sat in the sauna and the kids were like, this is so great. And I'm like, I'd have just been watching, you know, Blue Bloods or Criminal Minds or something and vegging in bed. You know, why not do something fun that makes your kid buy, kids buy into what you're doing? So, okay, um, how to make coaching and teaching a career rather than a hobby or a side hustle? Well, I obviously did that uh, more like to the max, you know. But um, I would just say there's a lot of coaches out there that who have made it a career and a lot have it as a side gig. You know, I, I look at someone on here and I know she is a... Um, RN and she works full time as an RN and then she schedules her time around a dance. So whatever works for you will work. Um, for me, you know, I run, you know, we have Just for Kicks directors who also coach high school and that's an awesome gig for them. A lot of them would prefer just to coach kids so they make more money, obviously, because coaching high school, you don't make a ton of money. But if you want it to be your career, I would start teaching dance either for a studio, your own studio, or running a Just for Kicks program. It's a great way to build your passion into a job. And I can't say how much, I can't tell you how much I, I love it and how happy I am that I get to work my passion every day of the week. So um, last question, how do you split your program into multi-level teams and track dancers progress. I know like on my high school program, I think that's what she's talking about rather than studio is I have a varsity, a JV, and a lot of schools also have a B squad. And when we have certain skills, like you said, a tier system, I would like, let's say at our practices, I, I learned that like not everybody needs to stretch as much because some kids are so flexible. Their issue is being hyper flexible, they need to work on strength. So sometimes we break up into groups that work on what they need to work on. So like say it's toe touches or turns, we have little clubs we call them where, okay, the turn club is gonna be over here, da 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 da. You can do that and um, one thing I do with different levels is like within my varsity, say I have very different levels, I wanna challenge them so I never work to the bottom level. I always work to the upper middle level to keep them working hard and I feel that's really important. Thanks for listening to Anything But Routine. If you like the podcast, subscribe and give us a rating. We'll see you next time.